Well, happy new year and welcome to the Radical with David Platt podcast, the latest sermons from teacher, author, and pastor David Platt delivered weekly. And we invite you also to explore the thousands of other free gospel-centered resources at our website, Radical.net. And thank you for making our work possible through your donations. Your support allows us to provide free resources to thousands around the world who so desperately need to hear the truths of God's Word. And if you have benefited from resources at Radical.net this past year, or if you would like to help us continue making them available in the coming year, would you support us by making a one-time or ongoing donation? We would be so grateful for your partnership in the gospel. Well, there's nothing greater and nothing more significant that we can do in 2018 than to share with others the message of the gospel. And yet, if we're honest, we often fail to speak about this good news to unbelievers that God has placed in our lives. We're often silent about this hope of eternal life because we're worried about what others might think. In today's sermon from Acts chapter 18, David Platt encourages us to share the gospel without fear because even though opposition is inevitable, God's power and his mission are unstoppable. Here's David with a sermon titled, Sharing Your Faith Without Fear from Acts chapter 18. I shared a few months ago, uh, particularly after Heather and I, my wife and I walked through years of infertility uh, to now have four kids. Uh, you know, in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, talks about God doing immeasurably more than all you could ask or imagine. I look around my table at, at night and I just think I didn't, I didn't even know to ask for this. I never could have imagined this. And then I think about my dad, my best friend, biggest, friend, friend, biggest fan who uh, passed away unexpectedly from a heart attack uh, years ago. And uh, there's still an impulse in me to pick up the phone and, and call dad. One of, my, one of my favorite memories from my dad is my uh, senior year in high school. And he did this with each of my brothers. He had started doing this with my younger sister when he died. Um, but he would, he would take me to a restaurant every Wednesday night, just me and him. And we'd sit there at this restaurant and just talk about life and what matters most in it. And there's all kinds of things I learned from my dad, but there's one thing without question that he passed on to me that I am most thankful for. It's the maybe simplest, most significant thing he could pass on to me. And for that matter, it's the one thing I want to pass on to my kids. You may be able to guess what it is. It's the gospel. I can remember sitting with my dad when I was just a kid. I can picture it as he walked me through the gospel. And for those of you who are visiting, may not know what the gospel is. The gospel is the good news of how we have all sinned against God and we deserve eternal judgment for our sin. But God loves us so much that he has sent his son to pay the price for us our sin, to die on a cross for our sin so that we could be forgiven of all our sin and reconciled to God for all of eternity. I can remember my dad sharing that good news with me and then just over and over again as I'm growing up applying the gospel to this or that area of my life. All the way to, I remember the, the night I graduated from high school 
uh, he wrote something to me that basically said, David, you've been, you've been given much, so use all that God has given you by his grace for the spread of the gospel to others, to give the gospel to others. And so now I look at my kids, I love my kids so much, and if there's one thing I can give them, I know there's gonna be a day when I'm not around, and I pray that in that day they'll be holding on to this gospel and passing it on to others. But not, not just my kids, I, I look at the people around me in my life, like the people I work with, live next to, exercise with, the people I interact with. This is the most important thing I can give to them as well. Right, is there anything more important than you or I have to give to the people God has put in our lives than the good news of how they can be reconciled to God for all of eternity. There's nothing greater that we can give, that we can share with another person. But this is where I think it's helpful for us to ask the question, ask it in my life, for us to ask it together. If the gospel is the greatest gift we can share with someone else, then why are we so hesitant to share it? And I think it'd just be helpful for us to be honest with each other. Like many of us didn't share the gospel with another person this last week in our lives. Maybe many of us haven't shared the gospel this last month with somebody in our lives. Maybe the last year, maybe many years. For some of us, we may not be able to remember the last time we shared the gospel, I'm not just talking, had God talk or Jesus talk, we used God or Jesus in a sentence. I mean, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses talk about Jesus all the time, but they're not sharing good news. I'm talking about a conversation where we sit down with someone and we share with them who God is and how we've sinned against God, who Jesus is, what Jesus has done for us, and we actually invite someone. We invite them to turn from their sin and trust in Jesus. Why are we so hesitant to have conversations like that? And maybe, maybe it's not you. I'll just say for, for me, I, I find myself hesitant, prone to shrink back and stay silent when I have opportunities to share the gospel. I'm a pastor. Like, I lead a missions organization. But that's where, and this, all this leading into to Acts 18, it's one of the things I love about Acts 18, because in this chapter, we actually see Paul the Apostle, so the greatest missionary who ever lived, was actually hesitant to share the gospel, afraid even. In, in Acts 18, we see him in Corinth. Later, when he writes a letter to the church at Corinth, he says, when I came to you, I came in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. He says, I was afraid, trembling, when I came to you. In the passage we're about to read, uh, the Lord comes to Paul in a vision and says, don't be silent, keep on speaking, which clearly seems to imply that Paul was tempted to be silent with the gospel in Corinth. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to read Acts chapter 18. We're gonna read the first 17 verses. And then I, I just want to encourage you, me, us, my own heart with four truths in this text. And my hope is that a few minutes from now, every follower of Christ in this gathering and 
gatherings at other campuses that every follower of Christ will walk away from the next few minutes encouraged, emboldened to share the gospel with somebody this week, just one person this week. So that's where all of this is headed, toward each of us, Lord willing, walking away, I hope and pray, just encouraged and emboldened to share the gospel with somebody else this week. So let's, let's read the passage, Acts chapter 18. This is the word of God. The Bible says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people." And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. Oh, all right, so four truths that I hope will encourage you to share the gospel with somebody this week. You might write them down. So number one, opportunities for the gospel are innumerable. Opportunities for the gospel are innumerable. If we're gonna share the gospel, we've gotta start by opening our eyes to the innumerable opportunities around us every day to do so. So let, let me show you this in Acts 18. These verses tell us about Paul in Corinth, which was a commercial metropolitan urban center. So it was a large port city, served as a major trade route. So business would pass in and out of Corinth and spread across the Roman Empire. Its population was huge compared to other cities like Athens that we read about in Acts chapter 17 right before this. And it was diverse, the population. Greeks, Italians, Romans, Asians, Jews. You had business leaders, government officials, various types of workers. So what does Paul do? Verse 2 says he meets this couple, Aquila and Priscilla. And then verse 3 says he works with them making tents. So Paul gets a job in Corinth. And he starts working all week long. And then on the Sabbath, he goes to the synagogue. 
So this is where I just want to pause briefly and point out that Paul's job here, his vocation, is a vital part of his ministry in Corinth. As he works at a job in Corinth, he's living for the spread of the gospel in Corinth. Now that seems pretty simple, but it's extremely significant. I think many times people have the idea that if they really want to share the gospel, live on mission, have an impact, then they need to leave their job so they can do ministry. But that's not what Paul's doing in verse 3. He's not leaving his job so that he can do ministry in Corinth. He's actually leveraging his job so that he can do ministry in Corinth. I, I see this in Acts 18. And then I think about this gathering in this room right now and in other campuses at this moment. So many different people with so many different jobs. I think about business leaders in these gatherings. I think about government officials, various types of workers. And sure, without question, God calls some people to leave a job for the sake of mission. But for most people, God is calling you to leverage your job for the sake of mission. In other words, God has put you where you work for a reason. He's purposefully surrounded you with the people you work with. And all the different jobs represented in this gathering right now, today, represent innumerable opportunities for the gospel across the DMV. Think about it. It's amazing to think about where all the places we're going to scatter over the next few days all across the city and then around the world, the places where God takes us. I think about a family I was talking with just a couple of weeks ago. Their job in the government is taking them to another country. So what if that's not by accident? What if God is sovereign over that for the spread of the gospel in the world? You talk about innumerable opportunities. I was on a plane uh, one day with a guy, he recognized me from some Bible study videos online, starts talking to me. Uh, his name's Hugh. Hugh's from Demopolis, Alabama. Anybody know where Demopolis, Alabama is? I'm not seeing any. Oh, okay, I see like two hands. All right. And obviously I can't see other campuses. Got a feeling. Combined, there's probably about two other hands. Uh, so, and there's a reason for that. Demopolis is no metropolis, all right? So Demopolis, Alabama, this is, we're talking small town, sweet home, Alabama, all right? And so I'm talking to Hugh. I said, Hugh, where are you flying to? And Hugh says, I'm going to Mexico. I said, what are you doing in Mexico? He said, I've got a lumber business. We've expanded to Mexico. I said, well, that's interesting. Hugh, are you anywhere else in the world? He starts talking about how they've, they've expanded into China, into Indonesia, how they're looking to get into these different countries in the Middle East. I said, Hugh, have you ever thought about how God is opening up doors, not just for the spread of lumber, but for the spread of the gospel through you in these other places? Hugh said, I've never thought about that. I said, Hugh, you got to start thinking about that. That's, that's one guy from Demopolis, Alabama. I'm looking at these gatherings right now. And what if God has designed the globalization of today's marketplace for the spread of his gospel all around the world? It's exactly what he's done. He's done it. So just think to that perspective here and around the world. So think about your life. Just think about where you work. Think about the people you work with. Think about where you live. Think about where you exercise. Think about where your kids do this activity or that 
activity here in the DMV. And in this, open your eyes to the innumerable opportunities that exist all around you every day for the spread of the gospel. Unique opportunities that God has specifically given to you. In a way, he's not given to me or anybody else for that matter. He's given those opportunities to you for the spread of his gospel through you. Opportunities here and Opportunities far from here. Opportunities for the gospel are innumerable. Now that leads to the second truth. Opposition to the gospel is inevitable. Opposition to the gospel is inevitable. So just because there were opportunities for the gospel in Corinth did not mean those opportunities would be easy. Corinth was a cosmopolitan city filled with rampant immorality and competing ideologies. On the rampant immorality level, Corinth was known specifically for widespread sexual immorality. Corinth housed the temple of Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love, and it was situated high on a hill that towered over the city. Every night, a thousand temple prostitutes would come down from the temple into the city to practice their trade. The the sexual immorality was so pervasive in Corinth that to Corinthianize was a a word that was used to describe to to cause someone to be sexually immoral. It was filled with rampant immorality and competing ideologies. So people worshipped different gods, goddesses, and then among the Jews who worshipped the one true God, listen to how they responded to Paul. Verse 6 says the Jewish people opposed him, they became abusive. The language, literally, the way, the way it, it's, it's described here is they set themselves in battle array against Paul, which unfortunately for Paul was nothing new for him. He, you think about what we've read. He had been kicked out of Antioch. There was a plot to stone him in Iconium. He was stoned in Lystra. He was beaten and thrown into jail in Philippi. A mob riot forced him out of Thessalonica. Agitated crowds drove him out of Berea. And then, it's not just Paul, at the end of this passage, we see Sosthenes, likely a Jewish convert to Christianity by that time, being beaten. Now, obviously, by God's grace, we live in a part of the world where these things are much less likely to happen to us than some of our brothers and sisters around the world. But I wouldn't hesitate to say that the task of sharing the gospel in our culture is made much more challenging by these same factors at work, rampant immorality and competing ideologies. We know we live in a day of a rapidly shifting moral landscape and all the implications of that. And we live in a day where Christian belief, Christian thought is not just viewed as different, it's increasingly viewed as dangerous. And... The message of Acts 18 is clear. Don't be surprised by this. Really, that's the message of the entire New Testament. The gospel was born into an age of fierce opposition, and that opposition has not waned for 2,000 years. So we shouldn't expect it to wane around us today. It has not been and will not be easy for you and me, for us as the church, to share the gospel and the culture around us. So it will never be easy to share the gospel because opposition to the gospel is inevitable. So there's a reason we are are prone to shrink back, to not speak, to stay silent. Opportunities for the gospel are numerous, but opposition, inevitable. That, though, leads to the third truth. So yes, opposition to the gospel is inevitable, but our 
God is all-powerful. Our God is all-powerful. So Paul gets kicked out of the synagogue. So they start meeting next door, and the synagogue ruler comes to Christ. The opposition continues, though. Paul finds himself at the end of his rope. Now he's, he's afraid, he's frustrated, he's wondering if he should even stay in Corinth. And in the midst of that fear and discouragement, the Lord comes to Paul in a vision. We see six visions like this in the book of Acts. And the Lord says to Paul, don't be afraid, keep on speaking because I'm with you, I'm working in the city, I got people in this city. And as a result of that realization, The text says Paul stayed a year and a half preaching the word in Corinth. So why did Paul stay? Why did Paul not give up? Why did he not stay silent? Why did Paul speak the gospel in Corinth? Think about it. This is key because now we're getting the answer for our lives. How can we keep from staying silent? How can we speak the gospel? How can we overcome this fear or hesitation or whatever it is in us that causes us to shrink back from the innumerable gospel opportunities around us? And the answer is, Paul knew that God was all-powerful and that God was with him. God was with him, which seems so basic, but it is so important because this is what God says over and over again in the Bible to his people. Whenever they're afraid, whenever they're tempted to shrink back in fear, God says, God says to Moses, says to Joshua, David, over and over again, I am with you, I am with you, I am with you. I've got to share this. I, uh, I was pretty discouraged this last week. No reason to go into details at this point, but just at a lower point and tired, tempted to despair. And I, I was preaching out in Phoenix and had a day on the front end when Heather and I drove up to uh, Sedona, north of Phoenix. And I don't know if, if any of you have ever been to Sedona, but they have these red rock formations in the mountains. And I think we got a picture there. Just, oh, just beautiful scene. This is cathedral rock. And uh, so I'm sitting there in the morning. I'm looking at this scene, cathedral rock, overlooking this mountain, having my quiet time. And I open up to my daily Bible reading plan. And that day's reading just so happened to be Isaiah chapter 41. Let me, let me read you what Isaiah 41:10 says. So picture this. Here I am discouraged, tired, tempted to despair. And I read these words from God. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And I just stopped in awe. As I realized, like it hit me, The same God who formed these red rocks, the God who put them in place and painted them this way, this God is with me. And he's my God. And I don't need to be afraid or dismayed. Why? Because this God who made these mountains has promised to strengthen me and help me. He's promised to help me. This God is my helper. Are you serious? And he said, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Brothers and sisters, I came down out of those mountains ready to take on the world. And those words, so those words are not just for me. 
In Isaiah 41, this vision in Acts 18, these promises from God are reiterated all over Scripture to God's people over and over again. So I, I don't know what you're walking through right now. I'm guessing some of you have come into this gathering right now discouraged and tired and tempted to despair. So if that's you here this morning, the God of the universe saying to you, fear not, I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's a good word from God. And this, this, is, this is generally in life and then, so then apply this to sharing the gospel because that's what Acts 18 is talking about. Paul is tempted to stay silent with the gospel in Corinth in light of this rampant immorality and conflicting ideologies around him. And God says, speak the gospel boldly. Don't stay silent. Why? Because I am with you. I will help you do this. I remember one pivotal moment along these lines in my walk with Christ uh, just indelibly barked in my mind. One of those kind of crisis of belief moments in your faith. So I, uh, I, was, I was in college, and I was on a uh, state university campus, about 30,000 people on that campus, most of whom were atheist, agnostic, wanting nothing to do with the gospel. And uh, I was in a speech class. It was my day to give a speech, and so I decided I was going to incorporate uh, the gospel into my speech. So I prayed for compassion, clarity, boldness, so I stand in front of the speech class, I give my speech, and at the end of the speech, they got to ask questions. And so as soon as I finished, uh, a girl in the back, her hand shoots into the sky, and uh, her name's Jane. And so I just immediately, she's, she raised her hand and said, uh, yes. And she said, so are you telling me that if I don't believe in Jesus, that I'm gonna spend eternity in hell when I die? And I'd never had it put quite that way <laughs> in front of quite that many people. And I, uh, I began to sweat profusely, like instantly. And this is a long pause as everybody's staring at me. And I prayed for clarity, compassion, boldness. So I just looked back at Jane and said, with as much compassion as was in me, I said, Jane, uh, we all have sin in our lives that separates us from God. No matter what we do, no matter how many good things we do, we, we can't get rid of that sin. This is the beauty, though, of what Jesus has done. He's, came, he's come to take away our sin, to pay the price for our sin. So yes, apart from trusting in him, you'll die in your sin and ex experience the payment for your sin forever. Well, needless to say, I was not the most popular guy in class that particular day. I mean, sighs go up across the room. That is the narrow-minded Christian stands in front of them. I remember Jane came up to me right after class. Uh, and she said, I just want you to know that's the most arrogant, narrow-minded thing I've ever heard anybody say. For you to say, just because we don't believe what you believe, that we're all going to eternal damnation. And she walks away. And that, that was the first of many conversations with Jane where uh, 
we would sit down. She just asked me every question in the book. Well, how do you know God exists? Well, how, how, why is Jesus the only way to God? Well, what about people who never hear about Jesus? And she, I would do my best to answer her questions based on God's word. But have you ever been in conversations like that where it just seems like every word you say is bouncing off a brick wall? And I remember walking away from one of those conversations that day. I remember where I was on campus. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember just stopping and saying, do I really believe this? Like, I don't want to be arrogant, narrow-minded. Like, is this really true? And I began wrestling with that question in a, in a whole new way and did over the coming months and, and came to realize in even greater ways, yes, this is true, but then wrestling with, well, why, why doesn't anybody else respond to this message? Like, and so we, we left school at the end of that semester. We were gone for the summer. We come back at the beginning of the fall. I walk into class, and Jane is sitting in the front of the class. She turns around. She sees me. She says, uh, she says hey, let's talk after class. And I'm thinking, okay, uh, not really. Like, I don't want it. No, I just got back. Like, I just got back. And so I, I, I wait outside for her in the hall. We start walking from class and uh, to make a really long conversation short that day, Jane basically looked at me and she said, I just want you to know, David, that uh, this summer I realized that Jesus is the only way to God. I've put my faith in him. She said, now I know that when I die, I'm going to heaven. And so I remember walking away from that conversation and the Lord just reminded me, no matter how tall, how wide, how thick the walls are that our culture sets up against the gospel, they come crashing down in light of the power of God to save sinners. So do we, do we believe that? Do we believe that this gospel has power to save? And if we believe that, then we will be compelled to share that. It's convicting for me when I realize that maybe my hesitancy and uh, fear even is a lack of faith in the power of the gospel to do this work. So third truth, God is all powerful and he will show his power when we speak his gospel. Gospel opportunities, innumerable. Gospel opposition, inevitable. But our God is all powerful and all leads to this fourth truth. Our mission is unstoppable. Unstoppable. So I love what happens next. The Jews bring Paul before the Roman tribunal to try to shut him down. And they basically wanted Christianity to be officially labeled an, illicit, an illegal religion in the Roman Empire, which would have then had far-reaching implications for stopping the spread of the gospel throughout Rome. I and mean, that kind of precedent would have echoed across the Roman world. So that was their plan. But instead, their plan backfired. The proconsul, Gallio, declared the Christians were fine. And in the process, he set a precedent for Christians to go and share the gospel across the Roman world. I love this. So the, the adversary's attempt to stop the gospel actually served to spread the gospel. 
And you know what I love even more? You look at how the story's told down in verse 14. Paul was just about to open his mouth to make his case before the proconsul, but the proconsul interrupted him with this favorable verdict. So I love this picture. Here's Paul. He's faithful to speak the gospel when he has the opportunity. And then when he's on trial, he doesn't have to say a word as God takes care of everything for him. So let, let, me, let me tie these four truths together with a, a story from Nepal where I was a, a few weeks ago. So I took a small group with me high up in the Himalayas, northern part of Nepal, right near Tibet. Uh, we landed about 13,000 uh, feet and uh, for five days just trekked through village after village after village. And apart from a few Christians who recently moved to those mountains, there wasn't one follower of Christ to be found, not one. So nine million people spread across 24 different people groups in that particular region. And out of those nine million people, it's estimated that less than a hundred of them are followers of Christ. So that's just like a little section of this room out of nine million people. Just to give you a picture, and, and many of them have never even heard uh, about Jesus. You'll say, well, what do you know about Jesus? They'll say, Who, who's that? I'll give you a, a picture of a home. So one night we were uh, sitting in this home uh, drinking butter tea with a family. So just picture globs of butter mixed with hot water. And it tastes exactly like what you have in your mind right now. <laughs> so we're, we're, uh, we're sitting on the on the floor of this one-room house with walls made of rocks stacked on top of each other, a tin roof. And there's an area near one wall for a fire where this kind Nepali woman has placed wood down. She's lit it and put a, a pot on top in order to make a, a stove there. And up on the wall to the right of the stove is a statue of Buddha with silver cups in front of it. So we sat around the fire drinking butter tea and I asked her and her husband what the cups were for and they share how every morning they, they wake up about 4.35 in the morning and before they go out to work in the fields they fill the cups with water they put a candle in them and they light the candle in order to offer worship to the Buddha they do this they said because when they die they believe they'll be reincarnated in another life and they want to make sure their life then is better than it is now so listening to them explain how they worshipped a statue while clinging to a false hope was heartbreaking enough, but was, what was even heavier was their surprise when they learned that we didn't worship in the same way or believe the same thing. They just assumed everybody worshipped that way. Everybody believed these things. Their ancestors believed worship this way and those before them, they've always believed in worship this way and Nobody's ever told them there's a God who's loved them enough to make a way to himself. It's not dependent on what they can do, but based on what he has done. Nobody's ever told them that. So with that background, homes like that across these villages, let me introduce you to one precious 20-year-old girl. I won't use her real name. I asked her what name she, she likes. She said Kylie, so I'll call her Kylie. Kylie was born into one of these Buddhist families. Problem is, she was born on what they believe in their superstitions was a bad day. 
So her parents and grandparents believed from the day she was born that her heart belonged to the devil. As soon as she was able to walk, every morning they would give her an offering. They would tell her to go outside to a dark little room that they had set up, and she'd have to go in there by herself and offer a gift to the devil. She can remember as a three, four-year-old, scared, walking out to that room, making an offering to the devil. I, I can't imagine. I have a four-year-old. I can't imagine sending him outside every morning to, to do that. But one day, her dad through a blind Nepali missionary who went hiking in those mountains, which, as a side note, it's one thing to trek through. It's hard enough trekking through these mountains with sight. Blind Nepali missionary with a guide goes into those mountains. And praise God, he does, because Kylie's dad hears the gospel from him, and he believes it. First person in his village to trust in Christ. And Kylie said her home totally changed. She no longer had to go outside of this dark room. Her family began praying, learning the Bible. Eventually, her mom trusted in Christ, and everything was going well until one day her parents were out walking along the trails, and the story that's told in the village is that a landslide came and killed them. Immediately, the religious leaders said the landslide came because they'd become followers of Jesus, because they had introduced a foreign god into their home, this village. To this day, whenever people hear about Jesus in that village, they immediately say, don't believe in him. Do you, do you hear what happened to that couple who did? The reality is, uh, a landslide didn't kill Kylie's parents. No, the backstory is, uh, some people in that village took Kylie's mom and dad and slit their throats and covered it up by saying a landslide had buried them. It caused me to realize in a fresh way that in places in the world where the gospel has not gone for centuries, where the devil has deceived people's minds and hearts for generation after generation, in those places, the devil will not go down without a fight. But brothers and sisters, be sure of this. The devil will go down. He... He will go down when the people of God don't stop speaking, when they refuse to stay silent. When the people of God speak the gospel of God with the power of God, the devil will go down. And this is not just in Nepal. This is here. This is here amidst the rampant immorality, competing ideologies around us in our culture. When the people of God speak the gospel of God in the power of God, the devil will go down. So the question is, will we speak it? Will we share the gospel? Will we give the gospel to others? I mentioned in the beginning, this is where all of this was going. I, I want to encourage every follower of Christ in this room and other campuses right now. Like, who can you share the gospel with this week, specifically? Right now, think about who has God put in your life at your place of work, in your neighborhood, apartment complex, on your campus? Who's God put in your sphere of influence who doesn't know his love in Christ? So here, here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask us here and in other campuses just to bow our heads right now, to bow our heads, close our eyes, and, and I want to just 
I want to invite you to picture somebody, picture their face, their name. I mean, of course, you can think of more than one, but at least one person, their name, their face, who God has put in your sphere of influence. And right now, I just want to invite you to ask God for boldness to share the gospel with them, with that person this week. And there's no surprise that all throughout Acts, we see them praying for boldness. These early Christians were afraid. They were hesitant to share the gospel. This is not a new thing. So we join with them. And so we pray for boldness. Ask God for boldness. Ask God to help you overcome your fears, your hesitation, whatever it is that's keeping you. Ask God to give you fresh confidence in his power and his presence Ask God to help you. And as you ask for these things, hear God saying in his word right now, I will help you. I will help you. And then we just pray as you've got that face, that name in your mind. Just pray that as you share, God might open their hearts to listen. Ask God to open their hearts to believe, to do a Lydia-type work. We saw in Acts 14, Acts 16, she, God opened Lydia's heart to believe. Do what Christmas did. God opened his heart to believe this leader of the synagogue in Acts 18. And I, I want to lead us in prayer along these lines. God, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for this good news of your love for us in Christ, oh God. And thank you for... The people in our lives who were bold enough to share this gospel with us. Thank you for people who believed in the power of the gospel enough to share this good news with us so that we might know you right now. That we might know your grace and your love and your mercy. That we might know right now we have eternal life with you. What a gift, oh God. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the people who shared it with us. And so we pray right now, help us to be that person in somebody else's life this week. Help us, we pray. We confess, oh God, our need for you. We confess our tendency, just like even Paul in Acts 18, we're, we're prone to stay silent. So help us not to be silent this week. Help us to speak the gospel this week, we pray. We know that we'll have opportunities, so help us to take advantage of them. We pray that as we do, oh God, we, we pray that you would do a supernatural work in people's hearts. Lord, that even if we've shared the gospel with certain of these people before, Lord, that those brick walls that have been up would just come crashing down this week. God, we pray for this. Only you can do this. We pray that you would draw people to faith in Christ, to reconciled relationship with you, to eternal life with you. We pray that you would do that work this week through us. God, please may it be so. We pray these things with trust in your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today on Radical with David Platt, a special day as we ring in the new year. And as always, you can find thousands of free gospel-equipping resources at Radical.net. I'm your host, Thomas Bowen, and from all of us here at Radical, we pray that your new year 
is filled with the grace and glory of Jesus Christ.